Microphone check, one, two, what is this? It's the five foot seven assassin in the podcast business. I am your host, Rohan Patra, the rap music plug at your service. Here we are again at the end of a Over the years, as someone who's obsessed with music, I've observed a sort of left-brain, right-brain dynamic with many of the artists I've listened to closely. So in the context of music, I feel there is a side of music making that is left-brain centered on structure, that is all about a thought-out, intentional approach to chopping samples, arranging sounds, or crafting bars in a particular pattern, or creating cohesive albums with clear themes that connect track to track to track. But then there's also another side of music making that is fundamentally different. It's the right brain of music making, if you will, that is more intuitive, centered on the emotion, the soul, and the passion that underpins the order of the left brain's way of making music. And just like with humans, it's the same with artists. It's often those that can harness both of these sides of their minds in such a way that leads to some of the greatest music we've ever heard. Where you can get someone like Adila, who found a way to chop samples and position drums in such an ingenious new method, a new structure that was meticulous, but also came from a place of true soul and love which you could hear in every soulful, buttery smooth beat that that man made. Now that brings us to today's guest, Chicago's Sketch 185, member of the rap supergroup Tomorrow Kings, one half of War Church, someone who brings one of the most passionate rap deliveries you will ever hear, along with a carefully thought out approach to building rhymes and structuring his flow that is incredibly impressive. Sketch's unique powers made his Backwoods debut with Jeff Marquis, He Left Nothing for the Swimback, an absolute home run, and my current album of the year. So listen on to hear more about interesting stories related to Tomorrow Kings and Chicago rap, this new album, and how this special blend of meticulous lyrical craftsmanship and unmitigated passion came to be. The Rap Music Plug podcast presented by QLC TV is the remedy to the I don't have anything good to listen to problem. Through in-depth album and song reviews, as well as artist interviews and general rap commentary sprinkled in between on all of what the mainstream and underground rap scenes have to offer, this is your one-stop shop to knowing what to add to your queue, play next, or pop into your record player. Welcome to the show. Sketch 185, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Fellow plots lay waiting for sons on lands where they last bled to. How will we stop changing faces for some demand a fair shake for black death from? Borrow blocks vacated once they made it through Jim Crow a match stress to. Shadow puppets of crying doves formed in the hands of crackheads. Born strangers in a paradise lost to Gotham along the Gilded Rivers. Rains runs rivers through miles of stone statues standing over the damned and sober. Industrial overcast clouds, firm smokestacks that shroud stars. Hardships come with the haircuts and that real hammer still pounds hard. I was born in 85 but feel like 97 just. Uh, I admittedly. I've been kind of going through it the past 24 hours, you know, dealing with some some personal personal stuff, 
but I have to say like conversations like this get me really excited and uh, just make me feel better. So really, really appreciate you being here for real. Man, I'm happy. I've been, I have been following what you've been doing at least for the last year, last year or so. So, so it feels good to be here. Man. You know, like I've, I've been doing the podcast. Yeah. And you, yeah. And you talk to a few of my homies too, which definitely is appreciated. Yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely, definitely covered the gamut of backwoods. Like I feel like I've talked, spoken to almost everybody. I will get there soon. And yeah, really, uh, I don't know. I'm just going to say say a couple uh, little terms to you. I'm curious to know if you'll know where this came from. So I'm very happy to have the Ransom Note Collage King, Spelling Bee Champ of 98. Does any of that ring a bell? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah? Oh, those those oh, are sick. Yeah, the Spelling Bee Champ of 98, I, I used to say that at house parties. <laughs> Like that was that was um, I just thought it was hilarious because I was in the spelling bee when I was in eighth grade. Oh, nice! I, 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 I didn't get super far, which was ninety eight. I didn't get super far, but I, I thought it was, it was hilarious. So occasionally I would just go spelling bee champ in ninety eight. Suck! A ransom note collage kick. Ah. Is this something I put on MySpace? You put that. So I got oh, wow. this from uh, I got this from tomorrow, like a Tomorrow Kings interview with i think us uh us mag i should get that you something oh yeah yeah uh, UG, yeah. Mag, UG, UG mag. mag yeah 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 oh, that was hilarious yeah that was funny that was funny um okay so i understand right now that you're obviously originally from chicago but you've moved to and been living in new york you recorded the latest album in new york how did how did both of these cities in their unique ways kind of like influence your art like influence what you talk about, or like how you approach music. You're both very yeah. like what vibrant cities for music in their own ways. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like I mean, to work backwards, like this record largely entails my my experience since the last record, which is the first record solely written while I was in New York. In terms of hip hop, people are kind of from different places. You know what I'm saying in the United States, like a lot of, you know, in New York, you have a lot of people, a lot, a lot more Caribbean influence, a lot of people from the East Coast and the South. In Chicago, like a lot of our families are from Mississippi, Arkansas, Louisiana, you know, places like that, you know, just, you know, Tennessee, so on and so forth. So that kind of informs like the tempo, the approach, you know, the aphorisms that we do, so on and so forth. Um, it's kind, of, it's kind of a weird thing because, you know, I'm 38, so there are certain, like, influences that people my age in general have that come from New York. Yeah. You know, like, we're going to have the Nas influence, the banks are influenced. You know, you know, if you're my age, you probably have a Jay-Z influence or a company flow influence. You know, or, you know, for some of us, an ASAP Rock influence and so on. And like that. You know, but Chicago, because the scene, Heavy Glob goes for influence, Rubber Room influence, Quelo influence, Psychodrama, um, Do or Die, Twister, Mass Hysteria, so on and so forth. It goes, it goes on and on and on. Uh, at this point in my career, like, this has been kind of reconciling all of those pieces, which is, you know, on surface similar, but I can tell the obvious difference between them outside of just accent. Yeah. 
apologize. It's like it's it's always a hard question to. No, no, it's it's a it's a, it's a broad question on by design. So so I like it. Yeah, because you know, like you know, because when you move to New York, um, like when my crew tomorrow kids was getting interviewed, everybody immediately assumed all of our influences were New York cats, East Coast cats. We were like, no, because you know, there's been hip hop so long. Yeah, and there's there's a certain language, certain tempo. A lot of us, no matter how fast you rap, tend to rap faster over slower beats, just because it okay. gives you more space between the drums to do things. Oh, interesting. Okay. You know, there's just, you know, there's just a certain pacing to it. Like all twist, most twisted songs are over slow beats. Yeah. Even common in general doesn't rap to fast beat. Yeah. Just you know, it's just like one of those things that it gives you more more space to play with. Yeah. That kind of matches the city. Because it's a, a major city that's moving fast-paced. I'm from a black neighborhood. I'm from a black neighborhood full of people's parents and grandparents are from the South. So it's a fast neighborhood full of people who traditionally talk slow. So we don't necessarily talk slow, but there's that element. In, you know, it's the mm-hmm. mix between house and the blues. It's a tempo. Like, that's kind of how we go about it. You know, but then when you, then when you add in, like, the New York influence, everything is fast-paced. Thing has to be done at a certain pace because you just have a massive humanity moving, and everybody traditionally is listening to headphones. It just it changes the approach of it all. And you know, at this point, like I have both of those approaches in it. You know, it's you know, it's me kind of maintaining my Chicago ness in certain respects at New York pace. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that does. That's interesting. Which one at this point in your career, I would imagine it's probably New York, but maybe not. Like, which part do you feel like you're pulling like most from your your kind of Chicago influences or your New York influences these days? Uh, Chicago, without a doubt. Not even debatable. Okay. No, not, not, not even remotely debatable. Thing is, I started battling, rhyming and battling on the street when I was 14 years old. Going out on the street, getting destroyed, coming back, <laughs> traveling all over the city. Seeing people in cyphers hopping off the bus. I got a brother the same age. He would tell people at his school that I was a better rapper. Go to his high school, battle them, battle outside of shows. Started this at 14, 15 years old. I moved out of Chicago at age 29. Okay. So I was active that entire time. You know, and I was active with my crews that I was with. I was active with uh, Galapagos 4 Records, which is kind of a legendary Indie record label. You probably heard some of the guys, typical mm-hmm. guys, Quell, Quasar, all fights, so on and so forth. Rock with those guys. You know, was involved in, you know, was the Chicago rep, Scribble Jam in Cincinnati. So, like, there's a whole lot of rappers in Chicago in a part of that scene that I had before I moved to New York. And okay. a lot of the guys I know in New York knew me from being at the Markings, the guys, you know, the guys out of Chicago. Okay. You know, so there's still a lot of that. And I'm still really connected to my brothers who live there and a lot of the younger rappers that I knew and mentored and saw coming up and all that. Mm-hmm. Okay, Don't get me wrong, I have love for my New York people. It's just I moved here, you know, with a little bit of a catalog, fan yeah. base, and a very strong sense of self. You know, so all I did is kind of add to my collection. Yeah, it's a bit of a, like a yeah. tailoring versus like a found your foundation was still built in Chicago. That makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I add, I added I added things to my toolkit. 
mm-hmm. you know, and it's a lot of love, you know, and love to everybody. There's, there's a certain level of productivity out here that, you know, I see any younger rappers in Chicago and the guys my age who, who realized they had to speed up. There's like a, a basically uh, understood level of productivity in the cast that I see out here that's basic. And when I, when I first get out here, like so many of these cats were hanging out with each other still regularly and mining for creativity. No, because I'm I'm a part of was a part of when it was an active reservoir sound, yeah. which was a bunch of guys. It was you know, AM breakups, Jeff Markey, MC Eleven, Elusive Teddy Faley, Hype Wonder, Jimmy the Jet, DJ Attic. It's, it goes on and on. Yeah, people associated like Billy Woods, who kind of mm-hmm. like an older older brother. Yeah, you know, and and a lot of those guys and more. And a lot of those guys kind of became artists and backwards or have done things throughout. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? AM Breakers, particularly, first of all, you know what I'm saying? So, like, there's always been that Because we were divert, we were, we were our contemporaries from other cities. You, you see that in every city. Where yeah. you see that in most cities where what you do, that city has somebody kind of the same school doing their version of it. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, I can definitely see that that connection between all those artists, especially, and it's unsurprising that to this day, years later, all of those people are still making music, either together or adjacent or like, you know, part of the same oh, wave, if you will. And, and it's it's a great thing to see. Yeah, so I want to, you mentioned Tomorrow Kings. I want to get into them a bit more. Yes. So yes. first off, like, that's just a, a freaking super group of so many people, but so many talented rappers, producers. Like, how did that actually come together like how did you guys all link up at the at the beginning to form that group so basically tomorrow kings some like we're the youngest part of an older generation of chicago is the easiest way of putting it where you get somebody like gilead seven who's the oldest of us i'm like okay actually for those who don't know who tomorrow kings are tomorrow kings i give them who we used to be at it was djc now lamar manuel both who are no longer in the crew, but still friends of ours. Colossal structure, IB focus, which make up gyratory. Gilead 7, Il Subliminal, Malak L, the Sketch 1 That's the crew. <clears throat> All of us, in some form or another, have known each other a better part of 20 years. I, for example, met Gilead 7 at the in store record signing for Fantastic Damage. Nice. Um, at Tower Records in Lincoln Park in Chicago. There was just a massive cycle outside of it. And we're all just rhyming. And me and my boys um, ended up talking to him and becoming cool with him. We'd already seen like his, his DIY CDs and records. <clears throat> He's the oldest cat of all So you got him. Me and Malak L used to run into each other on the battle circuit. Me, Malak L, and Gilly at seven used to battle around the city. I'd be focused on colossal structure the youngest. So we would see them around at open mics. Um, always together, gyroscope, they were the craziest two younger rappers a lot of us have heard. Fully developed MTs and were incredibly intimidating to the people at the open mics that they were at. Mm. They became cool with Ill Subliminal who we see around on the poetry scene, open mics, so on and so forth. 
And we all kind of became drinking buddies. And that was this, um, except for Gilead. Gilead doesn't drink. But, mm. you know, we were, all, we were all cool. We all did music together. We all started messing mess around with music together. Gilead Sample was probably the, the, the tying point at that point because I had a record with him. Gyroscope had records with him. You know, him and Malak L knew each other for a very long time. Lamar Manuel, who was around the scene, but was also part of the spoken word scene at the time. You know, you see, he was finding his voices in MC. Yeah. He was around the Chicago scene. All of this, all of us are kind of connected like that. And all of us have our own crews, but a lot of our crews disperse, people get older, you know, so on and so forth. The way it goes, you know, when you're young, transitioning properly into adulthood. And there was the Scribble Jam prelim battle some years later. I'd already won as, and was the Scribble Jam TCAP for Chicago twice, but I still had to get into the battle. Get into the battle, get taken out by me, myself, and Ryan. And at that point, I'm like, okay, I'm out two rounds in. I'm gonna go drink. So I get drunk. I walk up to Ivy Focus at a spot. And I'm like, look at this, man. You got this B battle happening right here. You got this MC battle right here. You got all these producers and you got all these rappers all in the exact same spot. You have 30 albums, at least in this room right now. Yeah. Almost none of them are gonna happen. Instead of talking to each other, everybody's gonna go to, what's this? They're MySpace now. Uh, what's that new thing? Sound Look at each other's numbers. And based who they, who they do music with, based on numbers and opposed to based on what they just saw. There's not gonna be any sight. And with that, there's, there's going to be all this music that just never happens. And it's just because people in the same room with each other aren't talking to each other. Yeah. They're going to talk to the people that they're with, and they're going to go off, and they're going to not make this music, and they're going to complain about not being known. And we drink for the rest of the night. I be focused, thinks about that, writes a list of MCs, calls me, and goes, he wants to form a group. And he lists off everybody. He says, I want you to be a part of it. I was like, you know what, cool. Like my crew, my boy Analog Tape Dispenser just moved to Texas. My boy Choir just moved to, I mean, just went to the military. Mm -hmm. My other crew, they're, they're on the East Coast. One of my boys, for real reason I can't go into, had to leave the state, so on and so forth. Yeah. Funny enough, I was the last member to get put in. And he gathers everybody up, because I was also the wildest. Known as a wild card. Okay. You know, I was battling. I rolled with a very rowdy crew. The graffiti. I used to do graffiti to a certain level, but I rolled with a rowdy crew of guys. I was a reckless drunk. I was put into the crew. And we all met up at uh, Billy at Seventeens, and we met up, talked, and was just like need a crew name. I think second time we met up, I had this giant trade paperback. Uh, this cotton book called Popeye by this Australian artist named Ashley Woods, who at one point was the uh, illustrator for X-Men, in a run on x -Men. In it, there's this uh, group of autistic, genetically engineered samurai called Tomorrow Kings. Okay. They were designed 
to fight off this um, uh, race of um, cybernetic sex slave women who are declaring war on humans. So the group, so the group that's fighting them is Marcus. And there's this one point where one gets killed. And I read it where it's like, fear not, brother. We are today, we are today's princess, tomorrow king, tomorrow kings. I went, so what's your thoughts on tomorrow kings? I just kind of went. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the name. It just kind of resonated immediately. Yeah. That's yeah, it. It's like, you that's can kind of it's nice when you just know, when you just kind of see that and you're like, oh, no doubt. Yeah. And it also informed the way we went about things. Like the futuristic, of, of like the tomorrow are, part of it, like the futuristic kind of progressive sound, I feel like kind of comes from actually, that. Yeah. Actually, the king's part. It made okay. us made us mature. We started, we started being less rowdy and less like drunken idiots. Started to organize and like, like the futuristic part was the thing that had us together. We were always like the odd men out in our squats. So like I'm like I was the most abstract rapper. Like the one album that we all agreed upon was the Cold Vein. Like mm -hmm. The one record that we all agreed on. Because it was probably for a lot of brothers I know, it's probably the most concise way of explaining what growing up in the hood it was for most of us. Even if you weren't a part of the violence, you dealt with violence. Yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to shoot a gun or a bullet to fly past you or to hit you. And we all grew up back when there were still newsstands in our neighborhoods and Walgreens sold comic books. Every, most people I know from my father, his brothers down to us read comic books. Most of us stopped, a lot of people stopped. It was like comic books, trying to get girls, trying to be cool, trying to stay alive. Mm -hmm. And like that kind of, you know, with everything else, that kind of congealed into a few things. So, Covain, Funk Pressure Plus, Technology, and Adrenal Rush are like the albums that we all agreed on. Mm -hmm. Probably Resurrection, you know. And in which case, like, Small King's Foreman finally gave us like a squad where people wouldn't try to push us to the side. Or we weren't like the little brothers of the more well-known guys. So we started doing shows, started doing a whole lot of shows for free, and last-minute shows where our friends were like, yo, so-and-so can't make it. They outperform. Okay. And we were doing all that. We were doing all that. Eventually stopped doing shows for free, which caused us to have to organize more. And because of that, we basically kind of built our built our set of the scene. Yeah. And reached out to the younger rappers who were really dope, but were also getting that exact same treatment. You know what I'm saying? So in that respect, we kind of rebuilt a part of the Chicago underground scene. So what would you say is like like the the main kind of impact or influence you feel like Tomorrow Kings had on the scene in Chicago? I mean, some people very some are trying to debate now a lot of people. A lot of people got the, got the styles from us. We used to have meetings every week from the time we started to when I left in 2014. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow King's been approved since like 2009, 2010. So 2009, like 2014 when you left, is that that's what you're saying, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. 
filler group. But like in between that, I released New Age Middle Finger, Gunship Diplomacy, He Left Nothing for the Swim Back, Orphan Child of a Bastard Movement, and been a part of like half a dozen vinyl, probably 30, 40 guest appearances. Another. Mm-hmm. Gilead Sevens released 10 projects. Starbucks Coast released like five. Malak has been all over the place. Those subliminals released four. When the Bonds released one, working on the second, we've all been on tour. We were the first guys to put money in Mick Jenkins' hands when he moved back to Chicago. We used to put on Joseph Chilliams and Saba and Saba and company would see us having our, our crew meetings. Mm. Our boy Slump, Slump, Slump Gang used to come in and sit in on our business meetings. You know, when Def C came back from college, he would come in and see how we conducted the business, show people how we did it. We talked to people about how to handle certain things. They, a lot of them mobilized and moved further than we did at the time, just because we gave them a, you know, we did what the older cats didn't do for us. Mm-hmm. No, when we example. were coming up, a lot of the older, at the example, a lot of the older guys were so worried about clawing to the middle, making a career out of it, that he just would step in any of our ways, in certain respects, because they thought that we might be taking their life. And it's a general thing that Chicago people dealt with. It. Yeah, I've heard, you know, I've heard that from like uh, when I was talking to Green Slime, as well as Def C, which is interesting because I think when uh, I think when I spoke to Slime, I had the remark of from an outsider as just someone who's observed observed like the music that's been made and kind of like the way. I see Chicago cats interacting um, in over the past couple of years. And I was like, Oh, it seems like you guys really put on for each other. And he's like, that's funny. You say that because that's not the reputation Chicago has. It was a very crab in the, what is it? Crab in the barrel, crab in the bucket mentality, which I think as people like you have started, at least maybe had major impact in terms of shifting that narrative a bit. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. It's, it's, it's one of those things where like, for example, FC, Green Slimer in the same rap group. Mm-hmm. They talk to you about that. Like they're both in the group Sky Mob. I don't even know, know if they did that. I don't even know if they mentioned that in our at least yeah, in our they're, conversation. They're both, they're both in the same rap group. And that kind of started because they were all around the same poetry scene, same hip hop scene. They're all around the same age. And it was a subliminal at one point after one of our shows just went up to him like, look. Y'all running around, getting drunk, and high with each other. Y'all needed to squad up. And they thought about it, formed a squad. And they used to have a studio they ran. I think they still run stuff out of. Between them, Angelina, Solo 5, Trail to Shooter, Speedy Calhoun, Green Slime, FC. I don't know if Wally West is still active. It was a lot. It was a, it was a few, quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. It just kind of like what we were doing and get their version of it. Yeah. And with that, that actually kind of forced doors open for them too. They, you know, they look unified because they are. You know, and you know, Mick Jenkins had his own situation, you know, moving into adulthood. He was cool with slime and that opened the gates up. Yeah. And the gang dudes were are talented dudes that were all cool with the FC. FCs from just directly west of the city, west side, and, you know, they were and they were all a part of the same youth program that Chance the Rapper was in. 
you know, because Chance went to the same high school I went to, just older than. And that school, and that school downtown is down the street from the, major, the biggest library where this guy, Brother Mike, rest in peace, who was a buddy of me and my, me and my crew, used to run a program. So all of those kids came up building with each other in a way that we did, because the big thing about Chicago things is that we all grew up, we all grew up in gang mentality. Everything we do is like street gangs in regards to, you're not one of our boys, so we don't rock with you like that. Because mm -hmm. we we all grew up around gangs. We, we You know, that culture's been in Chicago since the 60s. So that's kind of how people behave. <clears throat> part of it's crabs in a bucket. Part of it is, is I don't know you if I'm elsewhere, so I'm treat you like an enemy. Yeah. Because I can't trust you. And for the younger guys, a lot of them broke down that barrier, which is cool. But in general, like, even when I get back, I'm going to probably have some uncomfortable conversation with an older dude, a dude around my age. This has, who's going to be mad if my show is selling more tickets than Common didn't put on anybody in Chicago. He's admitted it before. You know, Common got his deal when he was in Florida. He was kind of a part of the scene, kind of. But, you know, he was a teenager. And he mm -hmm. went to college, got signed, and his life went like that. Kanye worked with a certain set of guys, but he got put on with Rockefeller. When he moved to Jersey to get closer, he didn't yeah. he stopped working with most of stopped working with a lot of dudes he was working with. Yeah. But there's a whole lot that can be said about that. I'm gonna leave that story. I'm gonna leave that story for off off mic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, know, you get that, yeah. So unity isn't really it wasn't really there. Me okay. and my homies did our best to bring it. And we got started around the time a lot of indie rap nationally was just weird old white boys. We were some of the guys bringing left field people of color on the shows, women. Mm -hmm. You know, so that, that wasn't happening. People could try to correct me if they want, but that was happening in that like, You know, I had people going, yo, you know, most of your fans are white, right? I go, that's how I know you haven't been to a tomorrow peak show. Mm. Yeah, there's definitely been that. There's you know? definitely, I mean, there's still that kind of reputation. Uh, I think it's reducing, though, which is nice. But yeah, those those mid 2000s, especially with some of the more popular kind of like, yeah, left field alternative, if you will, hip hop was definitely had a reputation being very white, which is, you know, it wasn't maybe always the most accurate all the time. And like, if you travel, if you go on tour through this country, it gets scary. I remember when me and Uncommon asked him on tour. And besides being very talented and industrious, you see how, I'm not going to say names, just because, you know, everybody knows everybody. Mm. Yeah, certain acts can effortlessly move through parts of the country because they don't have to worry about being pulled over. They don't have to worry about being um, watched. They're not rappers until they get on stage. Yeah. Whereas for me, I'm a rapper when I'm at the gas station. Yeah. An onlooker. You see what I'm saying? So it's easier to do like five shows in Iowa. It's easy to do shows in Kansas. It's easier to, to do shows in the Dakotas, so on and so forth. Build those scenes like that. Because mm -hmm. there's just a certain level of issues you don't have to deal with. That right there makes turns talented person who's a kind of talented person into an egotistical cat. 
and also scares a lot of people because that keeps them from wanting to go everywhere. So it's easy for the scene to look very white because there are people who won't book, haven't seen any underground rappers who weren't not white. I say, don't get me wrong, I've always been in a, a multi-ethnic rap. You know, that's pretty much always been a part of the story. Yeah. So it isn't like I have a, I have an issue with it. You know, I had a long mm-hmm. tape dispenser. One of my best friends, I'm the best man in his wedding. You know, me and, Jeff just, me and Jeff Markey just did it right. Yeah. You know so like things like that is never really an issue. He told it he tasted metal in the air. When he landed, man, it's his rabbit holes accordingly. You put it the moment the slick subjects. Body cams over punches and Amazon trucks. Double park outside the projects. A gossip of security and finding logic in your enemies' causes. We were all drafted into the march of progress. Blame less Paul as you get Philip Glass. What you wouldn't turn up? The kids still love that ice cream song. The veneer of the get alongs pillin' back. And there's a traffic jam in blackness at this moment. Practice at this moment. So I want to move to your your rapping kind of your very unique rap style that anybody who listens to your music will will pick up quick. Like when I think about the way you rap, I feel like the term scorched earth comes to mind. Like there's just no there's no half-assing with you. There's no there's no bullshit. Like it's just go all out. And I feel like there's like a frantic urgency that is very unique, like really unlike anything I've heard of. And it's not like it's also what I like. It's not just like vapid energy, if that makes sense. Like a lot of other artists yes. can have a really intense delivery and that's great. But the lyrics and like what they're saying, they don't really hold much weight or significance. But with you, I feel like it's both like it's very passionate and emotional, but also there's like you're saying real thoughts, like real lived experience. So I feel like the way you write, I would imagine, and the way you record, I imagine it might be a potentially like a difficult process. Like, I feel like the way I interpret it, it feels like you have to get to a certain place to rap about the things you're saying and the way you're saying it. And that might take a lot out of you. So like, how is the writing and recording process for you? Ooh, okay. I mean, like in terms of the writing, like the style, like the particular style I have, I've been internet since I was like 16. When 16? Okay. You know, like... You know, like just very word heavy, very frantic. You know, that at that point I only had so much lived experience. You know, but then like in 19, me and my boy choir, who I shout out on up to speed, decided to develop a rap style where we put words together in un um pleasant ways. Because you know, when you when you're rapping fast, you tend to put the syllables together a certain way. So you can kind of do a drum march like this. that's cool. But that will sometimes affect what word to use. It can sometimes make a rudimentary. It sometimes make you use a word that just rhymes, which we thought was lame. Yeah. So we would come up with the we would come up with the thought, and you know, and go, man, this doesn't. This is too long for the bar. We need to edit it. And we went, no, just say it faster. That's so, so cool. Yeah. So instead of like editing this really labored over thought, make it fit, we just said it faster. Little by little, we figured out the ways to, you know, we figured out the breath counts and such to be able to do it. Then little by little, we started making difficult word combinations 
while once we learned how to do that. And we decided that we want to have a style that was so particular that if you were to imitate it, you know, we would know you got it from us because we use word combinations that shouldn't go together in order to, you know, just to shift it. And, you know, that's that's just on the technique part. Not really the emotional part. Like, my older sister was a big influence on me. Really heavy into the ghetto boys, the Scarface. Okay. So that oh, I, can, I can me, see that. I can see that influence, the Scarface. Like, one of the OGs when it came to speaking on yeah. really emotional topics with, like, a, yeah. a certain tact, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, like, you know, when you're, when you're young, you know, when you're young, it don't matter whether you grew up in the hood, Conspiracy theories, heartbreak, <laughs> being a dope MC are what you're going to probably talk about. You can talk about like life in the streets, that's cool. But you're 19, you're 19, you, you don't know shit. Like, you might know stress, but you know stress at a 17, 19 year old. So that's what you talk about. You do wild out punchlines, you still, I still don't. So on the soap format, as I got older, a lot of what made Scarface. For example, a special been to it, where like I just figured like I needed to while I'm doing all this, say you know say important things that stick, say things that make people go mm. that, that causes with the delivery. It just you know you just like you you find that part of you find that part of yourself that takes you back to those moments that you're talking about, and my and my rhymes usually line written kind of line by line, for lack of a better way of putting it. So a lot of them are involved moments in my life and thoughts about this. So it's basically me when I'm recording, and it is draining, me reliving those moments line by line. So 24 lines might be 24 separate moments that all tie together. Wow. Me, you know, performing that, performing those right you know, yeah, so, you know, you just have that. Or, like, you know, the next line to be an anxiety had you fucked up. You just didn't learn how to shut the fuck up. And it was me talking specifically to, like, five people. Going on to the next thought. But it's, you know, to me, it's me basically constantly reliving moments in my life and reliving emotions while trying to get the delivery a certain way. Wow. Also, when I, when I record, I never do the same delivery twice. I do them similarly, but it's like I always treat it like a jazz musician playing a playing a song. Yeah, you're never I totally get, see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're never gonna get the exact one to one song, but you will always know that it's the same song. You know, it's like one of my favorites, my funny Valentine, the Miles Davis version. There are multiple versions of my funny Valentine, and if you like that song, you have a version that you like. But no matter what, you always know what's song it is you know and that's how i treat my recording that's sometimes i'll go i got this part perfect let me punch in sometimes i go no i need to do it all in one take because by the end of the take i need you to know that it took everything out of it sometimes it's like no i need you to know that i did this without it being know that it wasn't an issue like there are certain deliveries where like day street for example is Probably one of my favorite examples of the Chicago style of emceeing that I kind of grew up with. And a lot of it was um, influenced by 
Funny enough, still rep, he was on a song. Him and his crew, Nacrobats, had a very particular style of rapping. They developed that a lot of us came up under. And you know, like, I did that verse, and I pretty much, I had to do it in one take, because I wanted to develop that, show that style of rapping and how, how not necessarily effortless, but how gymnastic it was. And how, like, you know, it's not easy for anybody besides me and my boys to do. Yeah, I, you know, one, like, thing I, you one know, thing I like that you're saying that it's cool you say it this way because it was related to a thought I've had about your music, which is how you do it line by line, because there's something about the way you you write and record that reminds me of artists like Elucid and Rap Ferreira, particularly in that you tend to have these like very like powerful, I call them like mantra, like either like choruses or just like moments of repetition that like really fucking stick yeah. with me. And the way you do it is obviously different than them in the sense that like you just, it's always delivered with like your delivery, which is very passionate. And like, I feel like on this latest album, there's so many moments of that where maybe it's like the end of a song, you're like repeating something or it's like, I don't even know if it's really a hook, but there's like a few four bar piece yes. where I'm just like, damn, this feels very intentional. And like, it's really cool also that you say you do it line by line, but it still manages to flow like a real song. Like they're not disjointed thoughts, if you will, but they are written very yeah. punchy. Like here's a fucking punch in the face. Here's another one. Here's a jab. Here's another uppercut. Like it's, I love that. I love that about the way you write. I mean, it's funny that you bring those two guys up. Cause like man, the Lucid have done like five songs over the years. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, we've done quite a few songs. And for me, when moving into the New York, I thought he was like my New York contemporary. Like we were on the same aesthetic, but we had our different approaches because we we're from exactly. different places. But it's also, we also pull certain things from the black experience. So you will find things that sound like railroad chants and stuff like that that we'll just kind of lay into the record in a way. That's interesting. That's the, okay. Mm -hmm. I see that 100%. And yeah, like a lot of, like a lot of stuff that, I do, and Tomorrow Kings does, try to do, like, certain rounds and certain technications to imitate, like, gospel, imitate old African chants and stuff like that that kind of made it from, from the motherland and mutated as it's been in America. It's a direct thing, something that we all kind of grew up hearing, you know what I'm saying? And um, I met Elucid, so it might be a development. I had Elucid 10 years ago. 10, 11 years ago, uh, in person, when I did one of my first shows in New York, going by AM Breakouts. And this one is when they were finishing the Cold Favorite record. Oh, okay, nice. So, they, so I was hearing Cold Favorite joints, and the Lucid's old mixtape, and they were hearing early Tomorrow Kings, well, early version of the Tomorrow Kings record, and New Age Little Finger, my first record. First show I did in New York, side story, me and Billy Woods traded copies of New Age Middle Finger for History World of Dolphin. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, you know, so there's always been that connection, you know, there. Rap Ferreira, I've known Rory since he was 19. Oh, I didn't you know, know that. 18, 19. His um, first uh, record on Hellfire Club, Things That Happen at Night. The things that happen at night, things that happen at day, the things that happen at night side. Yeah, it's analog tape dispenser. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that makes we sense. Now the connection we, makes sense. Yeah. 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 And, he, you know, Analog Table Spencer's star review on a needle drop, reached out to him. Rory reached back. 
So I was hearing the demos of that record the whole time. You know, what's funny is that uh, Rory's um, Rap Ferreira's uncle, one of my personal heroes growing up. He's a, he was a well-known street, well-known MC on the street of Chicago named Nice, who was a part of a well-known crew ill nature. What was his name, sir? Oh, he was Nizem, N-I-Z-M. Okay. And they had a crew called Ill Nature, which was really well-known. It's one of the bigger rappers from the late 90s. Yeah. It was like his crew was Ill Nature, Rev Napalm, and Psalm 1 and Open Mike Eagle's crew with about 20 other people. was Napalm. And those were the two big, big like, B-boy rap groups coming out mostly from the South Side. That's the north side of it, you know. Yeah, so it's funny. Cool to see that connection. Guys, yeah, that's cool. Up. I didn't. I had yeah. did not know either of those backstories, but that's, I'm glad you you shared. Um, okay, I want to get to now this new fucking record. I'm in love with it. I please, feel like so please. many people are are just raving over it. Even the expectations. I I thought people would love it, but like I feel like people are like even more blown away than I expected. So that that's fantastic. I love the title, the artwork, like everything about it. Just like came together really nicely and particularly with the with the lyrics what i love about this album and your music generally but particularly i feel like it was really honed in here is that your lyrics really like touch on some really cold realities in a way that like i don't know just like undresses a lot of like topics uh kind of like ex subverts expectations like certain archetypes you, you kind of touch on in a ways differently and like you kind of described the way you write, it makes perfect sense, this thought I have with this record, is that it just, you make a lot of big statements in very punchy one-liners, two-liners. So what what were some particular messages that you were hoping to convey with this latest album? Okay, so around the time I first started writing the record, I was having some health issues that I'm gonna probably have for the rest of my life. But I found out about them. I thought it was far more serious than that. I had cancer. Couldn't find out that wasn't the case. So you that, said you thought you had uh, cancer? Yes. Oh, wow. Come to find out that wasn't the case. But with that, I had a moment where I was like, man, this could be the last one I could ever write. So let me, let me get a few things out of my, let me get a few things off my mind, you know? And, you know, like, one thing that was really important is that uh, there was this moment in when I was 10 years old, and me and my brother talked about it a bunch. My little sister, she's three years younger than us, so she doesn't really remember the way we do. She was seven. But we saw a guy get blasted by Chaga. Just like on and the street had, or something? Like on the street. It's my verse from Eastside Summer. I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna finish doing this before I talk about this story. Supposedly he survived. Like, you know, it was a it was a wild thing. Like he rode into a car, as I said in the song, dude blasted into the car, and the car rolled off. And we have to figure, we have to pretend like we didn't see anything and walk into our building. Wow. We had to cover my little sister, because if he aimed over, we couldn't let our little sister get killed. We take the bullets for her. I'm saying that's a weird thought to have as a 10-year-old. The summer of 94 and 95 were two of the most violent summers in Chicago history. Those summers were 900 plus murders, both years. And the part of the city that I was living in at the time 
was one of the most violent parts of the city, period. It was, the, the nickname Fort Still is Terrorville. Wow. It's um, right across the tracks from where my father grew. And, you know, I saw a dude get jumped by 20 guys for his Jordan, just waiting on the street. We're, we're walking out of the, the corner store, dude waiting on the side of the street, get, get rocked, and people come out of nowhere. Just drag him into an alley, stomp the living hell out of him. Just walk out holding his Jordans. One of the reasons I never wore Jordans is to get you. You get killed for them. That wasn't just a, a, an exaggerated statement that kids would say. No, you get yeah. you can get murdered for Jordans right there. Yeah. You, get, you get things like that, you know, like also have a big thing right now about addressing how underground hip hop internet culture, so on and so forth, seems to be getting more diverse and more self-segregating simultaneously. Where there, there seems to be so many ways of people trying to explain the, the spectrum of blackness, also trying to explain what is not black when black people do it. You know, like, which is weird. Like I've had to tell family members, based on your metric, Malcolm X wasn't black enough. He was light-skinned. You know, you get, you get shit like that. Mm. So I really wanted to t talk about, about the album I talk about. Talk about, you know, you know what blackness means and the farces. You know, I address like relationship situations in my life stemming from eight years back to the present. You know, you know I've done a, I've done a, a, a good job of um, not mentioning family things and songs over the years and most projects just because I'm worried about um I'm worried about you know hurting my my immediate family so yeah this time I decided to talk about things certain things I probably would never talk talk about in a song because it isn't meant for public consumption but you know to a certain respects I wanted to talk about my parents relationships you know I wanted to talk about things that happened in the family you know you know, I wanted to make songs where I wasn't the hero at all times. You know, because mm -hmm. one big thing about rapping is, you know, a lot of people want to brag. A lot of people want to be a victim. Another big influence for me in the last two years is Sauce Walker. And oh. with him, he writes a whole... Oh, yeah. thing is, like, you know, with the more left-leaning rappers and all that, I know how to do that shit. That's the world I've been in. I've been swimming in those waters most of my life. Things that always mean a lot to me are the things that stay with you. Things that, the things that like make you, that kind of just fit your life. You know, he had a line where he said, that's how I know that it's on you and not in you. Sound like some, some older, older rappers said. But one thing I really enjoyed about his style is that he told stories where nobody was the hero. Where there was no, nobody was the good guy. Because in life, that's just kind of the way it is. There are mm -hmm. people who are victims. Obviously, the people who are aggressors, but most of life, we all are just somewhere in the middle thinking what we're doing is the best that we can do. And I wanted to, and I wanted to like, you know, be there. That is something I really like about this album that it, it hits a particular tone or a, strikes a particular like emotional chord with me where I feel I feel like in a way I relate to a lot of what you're saying, even though I have very little lived experience that's shared in terms of the stories, but just that idea of like not being the hero 
I've been in a very particular mind state around the time that this like all this album just dropped now, where I'm looking back on certain things I've done and just feel a lot of shame, feel a lot of regret. And right now I'm at the point yeah. where I'm not like hating on myself too much, but I am just like realizing, man, like I I'm not like I'm not like I'm I'm not I, I have a lot of work to do is the point. And I think the way you Absolutely. do it is very free, it's very humbling. And uh even the way you talked about your you mentioned your family, I don't remember if it's maybe the last track where that part where you say like they're they're still working, they're still working it out. Um yeah, yeah. I spent uh, I spent my childhood watching two people figure it out. And as I speak, they're still figuring it out. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That, that was it was really real. You didn't you weren't being like you were just being really honest. And I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, still working it out now, to be clear. But that was just a very interesting way to say it. Yeah, because I mean, like, like, I'm not a religious person. Closest thing I have to God are my parents. They're not perfect. I was there for the bad. I was there for the bad times. You know, and I was a child. I, I'm always going to be a child. And I was there for the good times. And one of the, one of the greatest things I've gotten to see now see them at peace just trying to be happy mm -hmm. these are people that have known each other since the late 70s you know what i'm saying and you know and that that right there kind of that right there kind of does a lot you yeah. know you know and that's the type of you know that's the type of stuff at my age i'm 38 i'm trying to give people stuff like that you know you know one of my issues with rap is that the older you get the less a lot of people have to talk about which meant at one point you know they just at one point they just tuned out of the world, you know. But then again, you see somebody like Leonard Cohen, or Bob Dylan, or Bobby Womack, you know, guys, you know, who made it and still still has something to say. Gil Scott Heron still has something to say. Yeah, Miles Davis still has something to say. David Byrne, and, you know, and Joni Mitchell, and you know, they still have things to say. I don't give a fuck about being like Nas. I'd rather be like that. Yeah. I'd rather be 80 years old saying something that I couldn't say when I was 23. It's that wisdom. That's, yeah. Yeah, that, you know, because that's the thing. That's, you know, when you have more lived experience, you to be able to speak like it. You know, there's something, there's something beautiful about that. Yeah. Something important about it. 100%. And... One thing also, like I wanted, I wanted to ask you about is like one, like this is my. I have to just say, this is my current. I mean, it's Jan. It's what is it, Feb fourth? It's my current album of the year. It's been like a month, but I mean, I have to say that oh, it's just wow, been amazing. Uh, and one thing I really like about it is that it's very exhilarating, but in a particular way where I feel like the the way it starts off, it's probably the most high energy and aggressive it is at at any point in the record. Those first few few songs, but then. By the end of it, and especially that last song, you get to a very like sobering, calmer, more and like very just like emotional note to end the album. It feels like a journey. And then it makes me, as I was kind of thinking about that thought, it reminded me of the title and also the title of a lot of these songs. And I was wondering if there was like what the significance of these references to directions that show up in the song titles. Like, is there, are you trying to like bring people on a journey? Because like the Western automatic music, there's, Something Eastern, I believe. Uh, I'm forgetting the titles, but East Side I don't Summer. know. If there, yeah, is there is there like a? And I was also thinking like East West, like Chicago, Midwest, New York East. Was there any? Oh, what wow. was the significance to even, all of like the? I didn't even consider that. 
Okay, because I thought it was there was some kind of idea, some kind of journey you're trying to take us on there. No, I mean there is a there is a journey, so to speak. Like I don't want you to be the same person by the end. Of, I don't want you to feel the same way in the beginning of the record that you did by the end of it. Certain respects, I want you to be just as tired as I am, or just as like like just you went through all the emotions. The same way I have, you know, mm. East East Side Summer, like, well, Western Automatic Music is the name of an old jukebox in Chicago. Uh, a ju- it's a, a jukebox? Jukebox. Like, you know, okay. put a quarter in, okay. play a song. My parents moved to a new house uh, in a neighborhood that I didn't grow up in. And I was visiting a couple years ago. And we were driving down Western Avenue, which is the largest, longest street in Chicago. And there was a old abandoned building that said Western Automatic Music. And I'm like, that's crazy. And immediately I thought about automatic writing. You know, so you put your pen, pen to the paper, automatic long, and you just write until you just write without thinking. Mm-hmm. And when I thought Western Automatic Western Automatic Music. Like so, Western automatic music is what Americans do. The music Americans do without thinking hard about it. It's, it's the music that's subconsciously there, which to me is the blues. You know, where the blues kind of kind of crystallizes like folk, like like American folk music, in certain respects. But the blues is also the basis of a lot of American music. Yeah, and metro blues comes from Chicago. And Delta Blues, for example, comes from the part of Mississippi my father's family's from. So when I saw Western Automatic Music, for me, I was like, you know, I'm just like, okay, how do I make a song or songs that kind of describe the feelings of what the blues is? Not talking about the genre of music per se, what, what creates the thoughts on the blues? You know, so you have that east side summer, the southeast side of Chicago, depending on your age, you might call it the east side. Call it the east side. Older people call it the southeast. That's where my pops grew up. That's where Chance is from, Kanye is from, Comet's from, Gyroscope's from. It's gigantic. It's a huge part of the city. It leads directly in Indiana. East side summer is probably, in my opinion, one of the most Chicago songs you can find from anywhere. Because it's something that, honestly, I love that people are enjoying it. But it's a different thing when you're from Chicago, you hear it, because there's just a whole lot of shit that doesn't make sense until you, you you know, until you talk to somebody from there, which Mm. I think is great, you know. Yeah, that's cool. You know, something for you guys, like, yeah. Yeah. You know, because it's like, it's like listening to New York and why and you're hearing terms that mean nothing else, like asbetic. It's just like, it just makes no sense. I heard that for years. And I didn't find out what that meant two years ago. You know, it means bet, like betting on your ass. It's making a bet that you can't cover. Mm-hmm. I learned that at age 36. I, first time I remember hearing that was on Benny Siegel's um, song, Die, or something from that era. You know what I'm saying it's like that, so it felt good to do a song 
that was that geographically specific. That's cool. You know, you know, um, G Street, I was on my way to my favorite vegan sandwich shop. That just happens to be in Dumbo near J Street. Mm. And I was dealing with a couple weird relationships at that time. And I, you know, just combined combined those. Some stories some friends of mine told me. And I grabbed two of my homies that always had something to say about love, put them on the track. More or less, like the record kind of takes you through the conversations I've had since this point, 2016. A whole lot of reflecting, quite a bit of apologizing. You know, Barely mm-hmm. Drawn Heroes actually started out as an apology to Sage the 64th Wonder, Def C, and a few other guys who I, you know, felt like I was a big brother to, going that I should have done more. I should have, I should be in a different position. And I apologize that I was the guy that you chose to get advice from. Mm-hmm. And that's how it started. You know, well, that's that's great. Kind of developed from there. Uh, yeah, I love. I just love the way you you put this album together. Yeah, because it just it really brings you into particular moments in a very, a very vivid way, and that also brings to the brings me to the sound of this record. your work with tomorrow kings analog tape dispenser you, you've definitely been you've definitely had a tendency to 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 rhyme over like prog- a progressive sound that's experimental sometimes even like abrasive and with this album i found it interesting because they're like like especially with jeff's last record he dropped just last month sports and leisure that one i know he particularly like in the description of that record he said he wanted to make some something that was a little more like closer to normal rap beats i think that's how he put it on that album Yet with this collaboration, yes. Yes. he's drawing from jazz, electronic music, traditional hip hop in, in, in a very experimental way that I love. And I think it's like noisy, yet oddly beautiful, like at the same time. So my question for you is like, why do you feel more comfortable rapping over this kind of like progressive type sound? And why did you want to pair up with Jeff particularly to, to, to make this record? I prefer... I prefer weird beats that are rooted in the things that make me love hip-hop. Not, but the way, but the things that make me love hip-hop isn't necessarily a certain sound. It's a certain feeling that you get when the song comes on. You know, there's a certain feeling I get when it ain't hard to tell comes on. There's a certain feeling I get when, you know, you know, Raspberry Fields comes on, Resurrection comes on. It's that feeling. And certain songs, you hear it and it gives you that feeling, you know? So that's a big thing I've always moved towards. That when it hits you, can't stop thinking about it. But also I like, I like the, I like the feeling of, um, with that in mind, I like the feeling of being able to do something that reaches as far as my mind does. But oftentimes stays rooted in the in the four, you know. And me and Jeff, me and he 
did a remix for my first album. Me and him have been talking about doing music for a very long time together. And I've seen crazy iterations of his music. And he's a very close friend of mine, one of my closest friends, especially in New York. And with this record, it kind of moved back and forth. Like, I probably have a good five dozen Jeff Markey beats over the course of the last eight years that I've been trying to figure out music for. Mm. One that stuck what became Badly Drawn Hero. And with Badly Drawn Hero, he skipped, he was about to skip over the beat. He was just playing stuff, and all of a sudden, he played something that was nothing but a record going backwards. He's like, yeah, it's whatever. And I was like, throw that back on. And we started going through it. I was like, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Something that just, something that soon as I heard the dun 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 I was like, I'm not forgetting this. I'm, you know, like, general rule, general tomorrow, case rule, general rule of my life, you don't negotiate with a beat. If a beat is just okay, skip it. Just don't think that you're good enough to make a bad beat good. That does not happen. Like, you cannot get a good pain out of a bad drawing. I got my bachelor's degree in illustration. First thing they tell you, you can do you can do a bad painting on top of a good drawing, but you can't do a good painting on top of a bad drawing. It all breaks down. Pick the beat you're in love with and start from there. And with that, I would record, Jeff would email the files to Jeff. Jeff lives a 10 minute walk from my house. Whenever we were off, we would go over, he would have edited the beat and done stuff around my vocals. And sometimes because of what he did, go, well, I got to re-record it. So I'd re-record it in the back. He'd do edit and we'd do that back and forth until we develop a sound. We would hang out. We used to, during lockdown, we'd shoot to the basketball around and discuss the record and discuss influences and all that. Then we'd talk hip-hop. There would be moments where, like, I talked about Pete Rock. He wasn't super familiar with Pete Rock. And all of a sudden, um, we would listen to him. And he sent a beat over based on this jazz record. And I go, oh, so this came out of our conversation about P-Rock. This mm. reminds me of Light Sleeper by Sapphire, you know, which was produced by his boy Jay-Z. So I flipped my take on, on Sapphire's phone's Light Sleeper, and that became J-Street. And it would get things like that. And we would just do this back and forth back and forth. And sometimes it would be immediate. But a lot of times it would be like, because we did like 15, 16 tracks for this record. At least. And there was stuff that we worked on that didn't even make it to that point. But we finished, mostly finished almost 15. And the sound of the record kind of developed. Like, you know, it's very consistent in my mind, but it goes a little bit everywhere. Yeah, I do. A There's a consistent feel for sure, but it does it does have a, a quite a good variety which is which is uh which is very nice um for sure and yeah i just think overall i loved it yeah. like i just love the sound i feel like it really was a good marriage between you two like he like the beat picks up where where you um, people often and, and, and vice versa yeah we, we 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 worked it back and forth so much where like there are like three four versions of songs mm -hmm. and, and it really know, sounds like, like that no it's cool because like yeah. yeah, thank you. And, and Jeff is an incredible producer, very humble dude. He has a lot of really cool projects out. He's always working on stuff. And it's cool to see people talk about 
really talk about like his work with an MC, you know, throughout. Even though he has a few projects with other MCs, I'm really enjoying seeing people like, you know, give him his flowers. Yeah, no, 100%. Because you know, he, works, he works really hard. He works mm-hmm. really hard. Um, one thing I was uh, interested in is like, obviously your last record was was Gunship Diplomacy. That was six years ago. Um, and I know uh, one one patron of the show, Trey Does, wanted to ask a question, which I thought was interesting, which is basically like trying to get into what was the reasoning behind the break between your last project? Like, was it taken to kind of reevaluate your approach as an artist to give like a bet to make a better record? Or was it just a lack of inspiration and you just needed to kind of live life and decide to wane off of music making for the time being? I mean, like, okay, for that, okay, so we, so this project has been done. We finished this project like nine months ago, eight, nine months ago. Actually, more than that. So, like, technically, this project could come out. It took two years before that to get that done. While all of that's happening, I worked on the Tomorrow Kings record, which is, we just got to mix it now. You know what I'm saying? But before all that, between Gunship and those two projects, starting is a three and a half year period. Life, life, uh, you know, I got the final mix of Gunship Diplomacy, the song, back the day my ex broke up with me. Hmm. <laughs> I heard it, we talked, she left. From there, there was a whole restructure of my life. Yeah. And, you know, me, me just trying to, you know, I didn't stop writing. I have a massive amount of notebooks. I write all the time. But also, no, just because you write something don't mean everybody's supposed to hear it. Mm-hmm. Big issues is that a lot of people don't edit. You know, I probably make too much. But it's always been constantly writing. And even after Guns to Diplomacy, I went on tour a few times. But it was just, it's just, you know, just, you know, living life, writing a lot. At times, you know, figuring out what to write, because I was writing this project back then. I was working on Badly Drawn Hero. I finished up Gunship Diplomacy. We released it, and I started writing song Badly Drawn Hero, along with others. So some songs I will finish, edit, and rework over time. You know? Yeah. Just, you know, it's just like, you know, being human is hard. You know, so, you know, you know, so you factor all that in. You know, like, you know, I'm a, it's not going to be breaks like that anymore. You know, like, for a lot of us, like, you, you know, you got a lot of other things that come into the, coming to play. You know, in order to be at it consistently, you got to have people who got your corner who are willing to watch you focus on that. You know, you know, which is, which is, which is big, which is, which is true. You know what I'm saying? And some people, some people are in situations that are different. Some people just have that thing needling out of where they know they got to handle it a certain way. It was getting my money right. It was, you know, getting out of debt. It was, you know, I worked I work as a craft cocktail bartender. It was me dealing with that world. You know what I'm saying? And just a lot of that. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't laziness, you know? Yeah. 
only thing that did happen for like six months is I was mentally drained. You know, because like with this project included, every project I do is between seven to eight thousand words. You know, so at this point, I'm like, you know, almost twenty five thousand words of rap lyrics. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Which is a lot of thoughts. You know, especially how me, you write too. Maybe for somebody yeah. else. Yeah, I mean, especially how you write, you're telling me like it's it takes a lot out of you, like you said. So it's it's uh I can imagine that that will be mentally draining. Like that's exactly how I would think it would feel, honestly. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I write, I, would, I used to write every day and I would write until I was mentally shot. I would edit until I was mentally shot, then go to work. Mm. You know. And That's I tough. work to 4 a.m., 5 a.m. and wake up, work out, right? I'm mentally shot and go to work. Or try to be somebody's friend the same way everybody else does. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody treats the same 24 hours different. That's kind of how I treated mine. Thank you, Trey, for that question. Yeah, yeah. Um, and another question that's definitely related to something I wanted to ask is obviously this is released on Backwoods. Um, and, uh, so, like, Jeff Ryan, patron of the show, wanted to ask, like, how did the decision to release this on Backwoods really come about? And what, if anything, is special about, like, the experience working with this uh, this Backwoods crew for this album? Okay, so, I mean, I've always been in the periphery of Backwoods. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, you know, because, like, I've known Woods through breakups for quite a bit of time. And there's always been mutual respect there. One thing that I appreciate that, you know, upon reflection I saw is that Billy Woods very particularly will agree to, but a lot of guys always figured out a way to keep me in a loop. Because they always wanted to work. They always wanted to work. They, they always believed me, which I appreciate. Especially seeing that I'm coming from another city. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. When I was always, there was always that love. And, you know, I was a fan of uh, Woods and Superfly Crime Brothers. You know, and just the way it works, like, all my homies were working with them, and we just kept working with each other. And me and Jeff were working, and him and Woods are close friends. For a while, I was like, yo, when are you going to do something for backwards? When are you going to do something for backwards? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, no. And, you know, Woods started, Woods started getting on him about it. And and started working on the record. And when I was looking at it, I was like, you know, I think this might this one might make sense. And you know, I was talking to Woods some years back on the phone. I was just like a couple, couple years back on the phone. Me and Jeff were in the middle of the process. I was like, yo, man, I might have a few records for you. You, you know, if it makes sense for backwards. He was like, I'm a fan of yours. Just keep me in the loop when it's time. And, and, you know, just kind of, because we were always around each other, we started, you know, he finally started hearing some of the records. And it started to make sense. And he actually started doing some suggestions. And we weren't signed at it. Like the song Up to Speed is a Billy Wood suggestion, to be okay. real. Nice. Like, there are two songs that are going to come out that didn't make the record. 
uh, he gave me a, a really respectful and good suggestion about him. And he's like, yeah, I think you just need one more uh, high energy record. And I'm real, I'm very careful. I don't really take a lot of people's advice on my music, but I'm like, man, this man is making great music and don't be smarter than the truth. So, so I was like, so I thought about it. I was like, you know what? We are working on something for a follow-up. Because me and Jeff are working on a follow-up now. Oh, okay. Do that in. And, you know, and over the course of me working on it, we're still Tim Dub and all that because he works closely with with Cam. You know, it just started to make sense. You know, done songs with a loose. Done songs with Woods. Done songs with still Tim Dub. Done songs with Gray. Woods, Woods signed my little brother, Def C. Tomorrow um, King's members, Gyroscope, have been on Backwoods releases, been mm-hmm. on Castro's. You know, um, years back, Woods told me that there was this secret album that they were working on called Paraffin, and I was going to get on against the parents. And, you know, and he was like, write something aggressive and heartfelt. And that's what I wrote that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at one point when you put it all together, it's just like, it just makes sense. He heard the record. He's like, yeah, I'm down. You know, finally started communicating with Anton, the other half. And, you know, shout out to him. You know what I'm saying? And it just made made sense. It's cool because, like, working with them feels like an extension of the legacy of stuff that we are building in Tomorrow Kings. And, you know, what Hellfire Club is doing out west. Homie Teddy Faley is doing them. And Brian Hills and all those guys are doing in Baltimore. Mm. felt like, you know, it was it was like continuing a conversation that's been going for a long while. That's interesting. Well, it, just, it made sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, you, you never know, like, you never know how people are going to write about you, but you got to give them some shit to write about. So it felt like, you know, it was just adding to it all. And, and what, what do you feel like the, the impact of, uh, like, you feel Backwoods is having right now in hip-hop? And, like, how does it feel to be a part of that, this recent run of, like, I would say, excellence that they're in the midst of? I mean, I love it because, I, I mean, I started seriously doing shows at 20, which is uh, 2010. Well, no, it's not. It was 20, 2005. By 2007, 2009, all of my heroes outside of a couple got forgotten about in high beast You know, you know, the cool kids on and so forth. You know, you should be able to like two groups at the same time, but that ain't the way trends work at that time. I watched a lot of people fall by the wayside. And the record that kind of brought people back to looking at that style of music, in my opinion, and that's what's history will have taught me. Yeah. And with that, you know, seeing, you know, the style of music so many of us have labored over and dedicated ourselves to because we believe that we're good writers, we're good MCs, and we have we have stories that need to be out there that people will appreciate, you know. You know, for years, you know, it's great to see people appreciate because you went so long without people caring about it. Even when people cared about it, it wasn't all. It wasn't always that. You know, it's not that fair. The thing is getting out, mm-hmm. and this time around, there are quite a few people of color involved in the way that they weren't back then. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah, you know, and you know, like I got nothing but love and appreciation for that camp 
and they, they love my, you know, they got nothing but love and appreciation for the cats I walk in the room with. So, like, it, it feels like a good time. Yeah. And the music is, the music is great. More importantly, yeah. the music is great. Yeah, I think you really added and continued the the stamp of, uh, I mean, this trend of just everybody putting out their their best work yet. It just really seems like it's just nonstop onslaught of like, oh, Kai Solo, here's, let me just give you my best album yet. Elusive, yeah. Woods himself, you, like, it's just, it's incredible. And uh, yeah, with that, I just want to say like, man, really, really appreciate the work you put into your music and what you, what you created with this latest album. It's just, it's phenomenal. And um, I guess I'll leave it with that. Um, is there anything else you want to kind of shout out related to the new record, where they can find it? Uh, let the people know. Peace to Backwoods Studios. Go to backwoodsstudios.com, backwoodsstudios.bandcamp.com. The record, peace to Billy Woods, peace to Phantom Power, peace to Tomorrow Kings. Thank you for taking time to talk to me. No, that's appreciated. None of us do this by ourselves. No one would say they did it on their own liars. So there are just way too many names to say at any given time. So, you know, thank you for everybody that actually gave a fuck. You know, thank you for everybody that, you know, listened to me rant about the record. Thank you for everybody that listened to me, that picked up a phone call when I needed somebody to hear the verse so I know it didn't suck. You know, more than, more than anybody, thank you to Jeff Marcy for actually wanting to do this. You know, I can, I can keep going, but I'm going to leave it at that, man. All right. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you for your time. Hope the hope you keep enjoying and bask in the the kind of reception that this album's getting because it's been it's been great. Uh, thank you so much. Most definitely. Peace. All right, cool. Peace. Peace. Reconstructed a scene. You dust both of you off. You make a joke and you walk a home. You always walk a home. She gets the safe and you walk alone. Most blues songs aren't about struggle, nigga. This is the anxiety of yesterday now. And attacks your heart pays for it. Varied by sample drums. Your anthem shows up when you're ready because you were made for it. And that's Western automatic music. Fast forward to a band led to reviews in French. I could quote a black author who I could just write. He wrote Barton. So there we have it. Another episode of the Rap Music Plug podcast presented by QLC TV. I hope this episode gave you some new perspectives and insights into what the greatest art form known to man in hip-hop music has to offer. If you want to support the show in the most meaningful way possible, it would be my absolute honor to have you as a patron in the new Rap Music Plug podcast Patreon. Through this Patreon, you will be getting exclusive content such as bonus episodes, exclusive album recommendations, exclusive playlists, early access to episodes, and more. And above all though, you will be able to support the show directly in a way that will not only justify the crazy amount of time I spend on this show already, but allow me to cover some of the expenses related to supporting all of these great artists that we cover on the show through the website and will allow us to sustain and build on this amazing growth that the RMPP has experienced recently. 
So if you have any questions about any of the Patreon stuff or just want to keep tabs on the show, interact with me on rap music and all the great stuff that we can talk about, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at rapmusicplugpod or shoot me an email at qlctv.podcast at gmail.com. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on YouTube and Spotify as well. But that's enough self-promotion for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Peace. Peace.